Perfect. So good morning. I'm so glad to be here and glad not to be doing this um, via my bedroom again with like a snow day or COVID. Like we've had some setbacks, but we're here now and um, we are back in Philippians 2. Uh, we're going to do 12 through 18 today. So I'm going to go ahead. It's on. Yep. Thanks. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it just so it's like fresh on our minds as we study it. Okay. So Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So when Chris and I um, sent off our first to kindergarten, um, our school had kind of like a few little kind of mantras or like, um, objectives or whatever that they were teaching them and everything and one was you do the right thing first time right away with a cheerful heart when um, no one even when no one's watching and I don't know about y'all but like as a first-time mom I had all of these big kind of like ideals and principles that I wanted to teach my kid but I wasn't very good about putting it in language that they would understand or like a quippy kind of thing I'm not um, a teacher you know like or anything like that so I was so excited, I was like, yes, we're gonna use this. So literally at our house, the boys here a lot of times um, obey first time right away with a cheerful heart, even if no one's watching. And that's kind of what we see Paul doing with the Philippians. He's talking about like, okay, even though I'm not there, even though you don't have the spiritual leader, even more so press on, even more so obey. And so why does he do that starting in verse 12? Like why is he encouraging them to be even more obedient? The first is kind of what we said. It's knowing that for all of us, including ourselves today and the culture we're in today, it's easier and like kind of, yeah, it's just easier to obey and to be zealous for your faith or to um, be faithful if you have your spiritual leader here. Like, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I sit up a little bit straighter if I know that like my pastor is right there or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and he knows that. He, and so he says like, you, you, know, you have to press on. You've got to even more now that I'm not here, be obedient, be faithful to the call um, and everything. And then the second is he's saying this because he wants people to see that the, the Philippian church is not motivated by following Paul. They're motivated by following God. And so it's kind of that like, hey, double down, because they need to see that this is not you know, following Paul. This is following um, God and everything. And I think that that's something that like, we can look at inwardly in ourselves is, are we motivated um, by you know, pleasing men and kind of getting their approval? Or are we motivated by um, obeying God and, and his call um, to obedience in Christ? Um, so then we hear in verse 12, um, work, out, work out to your own salvation. And it kind of feels like if you know Paul at all, it feels a little contradictory, doesn't it? Because like Paul's big shtick, if you will, is that it's, you know, um, salvation by faith, not works. Like we don't work for our salvation. It's by faith alone, right? And so you hear like work out and you go, okay, this doesn't feel right and everything. And that's not what he's saying. Um, 
there's a lot of Sinclair Ferguson quotes because he just is much smarter than me and um, had like some beautiful writing. And so apologies for all of them, but on your handout, um, there's one and it says, we are not to work for it or work, um, work it up, but work it out. That is to be um, to make sure that its influence and impl um, implications permeate the whole of our lives. It is a lifelong process of obedience in which we see the significance of what Christ has done for us in the ever-changing and developing context of our lives. And so he's saying, like, you're not working at this like you're on a hamster wheel. You're, God is, like, working out your salvation in all aspects of your life all the time. And I love that picture of, like, all of our trials, all of our relationships, like she was talking about in the book, um, all of our circumstances and everything, God is using all of that to work into us the gospel, to like work into us the good news so that it permeates our entire existence um, and it's not just service level. Um, so Ferguson also says that Paul is actually using the co a complex verb here and it translates more like work in instead of work out. Um, and so my family is like largely from the South and um, my mom's family's from Georgia, my dad's from Texas. And so, like any good Southern family, we have, like, quite a few cast iron skillets. Um, and when my grandfather passed away, me and my brother kind of duped it out for who was getting the cast iron skillets and everything. Like, they just are amazing and, like, heirloom quality, seasoned and everything. And if you have a cast iron skillet, or if you don't, I'm about to explain it, but, like, you, it, you work into it. So, like, there's, you know, seasoning, there's drying you have to dry it and like heaven forbid that you put a drop of soap in it you're not supposed to do that then inevitably there will be a well-meaning party guest who's trying to clean up and there's like a big old glob of dawn and you kind of go eh, all the work um it but like you're working into that cast iron skillet to build this patina like i would put in y'all are not gonna want to eat at my house anymore but um i would put in um a little bit of bacon grease and like rub it in and everything and it makes there be like this patina, this seasoning, and that's what the Holy Spirit, in a weird way to compare that, is doing in our lives. He's working the gospel in. He's seasoning us. And like, as we grow in maturity in our faith, there's this beautiful patina that we start seeing and everything. Um, so what does it mean to work out our salvation? Um, we exist in the already and the not yet. We say that a lot, right? And so already, you are completely and wholly loved by God. You are um, his daughter and like you're his beloved. But ultimately our salvation and therefore our obedience will continue to transform us into the likeness of Christ. Um, and it's the work that the Holy Spirit is doing for the entirety of our lives. And so God loves you so much that he loves you right now exactly where you are and like is meeting you where you are. But he loves you so much that he won't leave you there. And he's going to continue to work that out in, um, with the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's good news. But what does it not mean? Um, it does not mean to like struggle and strive to earn or even keep our salvation. That is not Paul's intent, and that's certainly not of Christ, right? Um, I think one beautiful thing on it is that over and over again, um, the commentaries kind of pointed out that like, yes, this is our personal um, salvation being worked out. Like the, that is what Paul's talking about. But it's also talking about our collective and corporate spiritual well-being. So on top of the fact that like your spiritual, um, your, like your salvation, your sanctification is being worked out, our inner relationships and like being in the body is so important because it's also working out the corporate spiritual well-being too. Um, okay, so like in looking at working our salvation, y'all are gonna, and this is my nerd moment, I have one every time. 
but we can look to find um, the balance of like how that works between us, you know, um, being obedient and extending that obedience and then receiving God's grace with the middle voice in Greek. Um, So Greek has three different voices. They have like the active, the passive, and then the middle. And the middle can, um, is where the subject is both doing and receiving an action. And so like one good sentence to kind of embrace it is, I received counsel. So I am both like actively receiving something, but counsel is also being given to me and I'm passive, like, you know, in it being given, right? Um, And so we are receiving God's grace to be able to obey and everything. Another way to look at this is that our salvation is a gift from God. And so for any, to, for us to appreciate any gift, we have to what? Got to unwrap it. We've got to know what it is. And then we have to put it to use. So say my mom got me a Le Creuset like Dutch oven. This is the lecture on pots, y'all. Um, but, um, I don't know if y'all have Le Creuset. They're amazing. You pass them down from generation to generation. If I just like put it back in the box and put it um, you know, in the cupboard, that would be so sad because like it would just be a waste. I wouldn't know it. I wouldn't use it. The joy of all of the senses, like the tactile, you know, chopping the onions and like putting them into the pot and then creating this beautiful dish, the aroma, the joy of enjoying it um, would be gone because it would be in the back of my cupboard. Um, And so too is the way we respond to our salvation in, um, in Christ. Like, would it be, like, what good would it be if we receive God's good gift and perfect gift, like, that we need desperately, and then we just put it to the side, and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and um, respond to our gift giver with obedience. And that's kind of, like, what the obedience is. It's this joyful, like, thank you, you know, just like if I had that pot making my mom a dinner and saying, thank you, like, I've enjoyed this. And that's the same thing that we see, like, when we're obeying as Christ obeyed. And Paul um, actually talks about this in Romans, that we can't do this on our own. This is not something that we ourselves are capable of. He says in Romans seven eighteen, For I know um, that nothing good dwells in me that is, um, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Um, And Sinclair Ferguson says this about um, God's grace. It says, God's grace does not destroy the individual Christian's responsibility to be obedient. Rather, it makes it possible for the obedience to become reality in every area of life. And so it's just that kind of reminder that this is a a kind of a balance. It's a tug and pull. Like we respond with obedience, but it's because of God's good grace that we can even respond, that we even want to. So then, um, still in verse 12, we talk about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And like I said, Ferguson is much um, smarter than I am, and he had the most beautiful passage, so it's just right there. I think it's on y'all's handout. It's long. Bear with me. Um, But Ferguson says this. It might, um, I mean, actually, um, skip to the second line, or second sentence, sorry. But a closer examination suggests that whatever the human context Paul is thinking of the way in which the Christian should always be conscious that he or she lives before the face of God. There should always be a sense of awe in the life of a believer, a sense of living where we are always visible, always understood through and through, and amazingly, always loved by the Holy One. This sense of awe produces a special quality in our obedience. It um, it gives direction. We are not to be uh, men pleasers, but God honoring. It gives integrity. Our obedience is tested by a more discerning eye than those of our fellow sinners. 
Um, it is an obedience suffused with, hu- in, um, with humility in which self-projection has given way to devotion um, to the Lord. And so I love that because I think when you see fear, you like automatically see fear and trembling, you kind of think of someone cowering or like a dog cowering before he you know, gets hit or something like that. Like it's kind of this negative connotation. And Ferguson's saying, no, it's the awareness that like we stand before a holy and almighty God and we are seen through and through and still fully loved. Um, Gordon D. Fee says it this way. He says, the believer is not one who has begrudgingly um, been begrudgingly caught by God, as it were. So that obedience is basically out of fear and trembling over what might um, happen if one were to do otherwise. So I love that because I think that it just reminds us, like, this is full of grace. This, like, fear and trembling is not to be something where we're worried that God is going to smite us if we don't you know, have all of our ducks in a row and we don't obey all of his stuff. It's, it's not that. It's remembering that, like, we are seen and we are in front of an almighty God. We shouldn't live out, um, we don't, and shouldn't live out the gospel casually or lightly, but remember what it is to be standing in front of him and just be in awe of that. So, um, I am a huge West Wing fan. I don't know if any of y'all have watched it. It's probably, I think, one of the best shows ever on television. Um, and there was um, one episode where C.J. Craig, who's the press secretary, is in the Oval Office with President Bartlett. And President Bartlett's droning on about, like, his national parks and everything. And um, you can tell she's just glazed over. Well, she kind of quips and, like, you know, set, like forgets herself and slips and, like, says something really sarcastic. And he goes, do you remember that line that you're not supposed to cross when you're talking to the president? And she was like, yeah, am I coming up on it? He goes, oh, no look way back <laughs> and so and she finally she apologizes and um, apologizes and then asks permission to be excused because he's the president and everything and I kind of felt like that that was you know on a very minute scale what it is like let's not forget that we are standing in awe of like this you know majesty and God and anyway so yeah Chris would yell like the line is a dot to you if y'all are friends people that's another one um okay so but the one thing that we can't miss here Um, is it's God's good grace that gives us the ability to obey. We talked about it a little bit, but God both empowers the doing and the willing that lies behind the doing. Like, he enables both of those things. It is God who continues to sanctify and cultivate our faith and our hearts. So, friends, if you feel burdened, like when you are reading this, if you feel like burdened, like you need to get on the hamster wheel or you need to create your to-do list so that you can be better at your faith and like, you know, that kind of thing, that is not from the Lord. Yes, we should obey, but um, even Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, take, on, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, my, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, and I think uh, if y'all have ever read um, uh, the allegory, Hinds feet in high places. There we go. I almost blanked. Um, about there's, um, it's an allegory about the gospel, and um, much afraid is the character, and she's real making everything. And the good shepherd is going to take her to like a better place, right? To the like, kind of high place. And um, the good shepherd like takes her through beautiful valleys, but then also like really treacherous cliffs where there's a lot of danger and stuff like that. Like God will take you through. God will work out your salvation. So it is God that produces um, in us this like this longing to obey. And then he works it out through us. And so that's such good news um, that it's not on us, that we can be joyful and we can respond joyfully and trust that the Lord will be faithful to us. 
Um, let's see. And then the other really neat thing and good news today is that God not only has concerns on his heart and is for you, but um, it's also for the sake of his good pleasure that he works out the salvation through your life. Let's think about that for a second. God, the creator of the universe, that made all things come together, it is his good pleasure. Like he does this just to please himself that um, he would, they, that the Holy Spirit would work out our salvation continuously through the entirety of our lives. That's how much he loves us, that he wants us to become more and more like Christ. And I just think that's so beautiful. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to verse 14, which is kind of like another shift. And it's very not Paul, um, because we're going to see that it actually like reflects back to the Old Testament, which is not, Paul doesn't do it too much. Um, but it says, do all things without grumbling or um, disputing. So if we were to hear grumbling and disputing, does and it, like what does that bring to mind if I'm saying, think back to the Old Testament? The Hebrews, right? Like, and so his audience, so Paul was a Jew, a really good Jew at first, um, and his audience was um, partly you know, Jewish and everything. So they would hear that and go, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. I mean, we hear that, and we know the Israelites because we've studied them. And you go like, oh, gosh, I don't want to like, grumble and complain like they um, did. Because did, like, let's see, um, did they obey with a cheerful heart? No. Absolutely not. Like, they didn't trust um, to gather manna six days instead of seven. Like, they didn't trust that God would provide each time. Um, did they respond to God's good gift of rescue and salvation from Pharaoh and slavery um, with obedience and with faithfulness? No. They grumbled about six weeks, and they're like, why didn't you just let us die in Egypt? You know, and they're making idols and everything. Um, and were they always the lights God called them to be among the neighboring nations? Again, I know, poor, um, poor Hebrew, or poor Israelites. But we have, um, Paul's saying now that we have a great high priest who was obedient and who was faithful. Moses was man, it was, you know, a sinful man. I mean, he was good, but he was sinful. We don't have that. We have Jesus. And so um, Ellie always says, like, was the therefore, therefore? So back in verse 12, it says, therefore, my beloved. Um, and it talks about... Um, you know, as you've always obeyed, it's on the hills of verse 8, which is, um, says, and being found in human form, he, being Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to um, the point of death, even death on the cross. So that's what the therefore is, like it's pointing back to the, um, for the Philippians and saying, because Christ was obedient, therefore you now need to be obedient. And so unlike the Israelites, the church in Philippi, and we ourselves, finally have that great high priest that is obedient to the point of death, to the point of accomplishing his father's good will for us. Um, and so we can hope in that. Um, Paul calls them um, also to act in a manner that reflects their new identity as believers. Um, not only because dissension affects their own lives, and we know this, like dissension and conflict doesn't just affect us, right? It does, and it affects our growth um, as believers, but it also affects... Um, our corporate like body, our spiritual health there, and then also our effect on the community out um, outside. So like if we are always arguing and bickering, we are not going to have the same effect in Fort Worth that we would if we were unified and loving each other well. Because it, I mean the Bible talks about that they will know you by how you love each other, and we've seen that. Um, and so again, my buddy Ferguson. He says, um, a grumbling or questioning spirit, I love this, is an expression of ingratitude to God's providence. 
and of lovelessness and pride towards others. It is a denial of grace. It is working against salvation rather than working salvation out in every aspect of our lives. I think that that's really convicting. That if we're grumbling and we're questioning, that not only like is it ingratitude, but it's lovelessness and pride to our fellow believers. And um, it's basically preventing um, salvation to be like worked out in every aspect. Um, so then we move down to um, verse 15. And it talks about that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Um, and so that is actually language um, that was heard back in Genesis. Uh, and so in Genesis 17, verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and um, said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And so he's echoing that again. And what's like the beautiful thing about this passage, um, y'all know I love like the literary stuff. The beautiful thing here is he's talking about, you know, we've talked about the Israelites or kind of like alluded to that. Now we're alluding to Abraham. And what was God's promise to Abraham? That his descendants would be more than all the stars in the sky, right? And all of a sudden we have all these lights. Be the lights in this, you know, um, uh, like kind of decrepit and twisted generation. And so it's kind of beautiful just to hear that echoing back. And especially um, the original hearers of this text would like, would have kind of caught that. Um, and so then lastly, um, he says, you know, hold fast, carry on so that when the day of Christ comes, that I can be proud and I can know that I didn't run in vain. And it feels almost a little bit um, like he's saying that he wants to boast. And you go like, okay, Paul, have you lost it? Like, you know that you can't boast um, and everything. But he's not boasting about himself and his good work. He's boasting about the work of the Holy Spirit and the people in the lives of the people he loves so much. He's saying, hold on and, you know, just press forward because I want to, when the day of Christ comes, I want to see you blameless and innocent. And I want to celebrate the, the good work that the Holy Spirit has been doing in your lives. And that's his intent and that's his heart. So much so, we know Paul, like he has a very single-minded, you know, kind of frame. Um, and it's, he says, even if I have to have my blood spilled out so that you know the gospel, so that you can be presented on the day of Christ as blameless and innocent, I count it joy. Um, and that's how much he loves them. And so I would just say in closing, like, let's take up the challenge that Paul has in this text um, for our own lives. That we would allow and, and, you know, respond to the Holy Spirit working the gospel in our lives through every single aspect. That, like, as we are relational with each other, that the Holy Spirit would be able to work out um, the good news that way as well. And that... Um, just like Paul said, that when the day of Christ comes, that we would be blameless and innocent and be lights, um, even now, even in a really dark time. That's it. Thank you, guys. <laughs>